it's okay to be weird. Weird is good. Weird means that you're not just following the following the crowd, that you're allowing yourself to be yourself. You know, so I my friends are the weirdest. You know, my friends are I think my friends are all stars, actually. They're all stars in their own ways. They do things that are uniquely themselves and they accept themselves for who they are. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Connected Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Stu Murray. Are you disillusioned with our old, outdated systems and stories? Are you tired of the growing polarization in society? So am I. My aim is to engage in and unpack conversations with people from all walks of life as a means of co-creating a way forward for humanity. Today's guest is Corey Richardson. Corey loves adventure and watching plants grow. Now at 44 Home on Dream Seed Farm in Genseg, he finds balance between family life and making a living doing many creative endeavors rooted but still dreaming. Corey has traveled the world and during his adventures actively participates in and enriches the communities that he visits. This has included, but is not limited to, serving for disaster relief in Louisiana and Mississippi following Hurricane Katrina, hosting a circus school in Mexico, starting an NGO called Chat to the Future, which funded two new orphanages in Uganda. Corey is the owner of Hanging Hugs, a custom luxury hammock brand, which promotes values of freedom and comfort in nature. He also recently purchased 10 acres of forest to create a community project under the Dream Seed banner, which will host endless summer camps for egalitarian experiential education based on talking circles. You can connect with Corey and his many projects and visions through his website, hangingHugs.com. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And before we dive in, a thank you to our sponsor, Karen Phytoplankton. Many daily discomforts are the result of malnourishment. You may be malnourished if you crash in the afternoon, you have digestive issues, you get lots of headaches, have trouble sleeping, you have muscle or joint pain, have trouble concentrating, and so on. The good news is the right supplementation can help with this. I've personally benefited from using Karen Phytoplankton, which has helped me find more energy in the afternoons and beat that crash. You can find Karen Phytoplankton products at Costco locations or online at thekarenproject.ca. Without further ado, let's dive in. So, Corey, when you when you were young, you mentioned that you almost went into military school and wanted to become a chopper pilot. And in your high school days, there was a big shift that happened for you. You want to share for us uh for sure um well for me 12 to 17 i was in army cadets and i wanted to be a chopper pilot because i thought that would be the coolest job and then uh i was in high school chemistry class and watching sun glisten off the water off of uh you know around partridge island and i thought how cool it would be to be out kayaking like what am i doing inside on a beautiful day like this wasting my time learning about quadratic equations or not learning about quadratic equations. So I went down into uh high school library and within the span of a half an hour planned out my life from age 17 to 35 of 
what I then thought would be, you know, the, the coolest life that I could possibly have because I really, I'm a goal oriented person. I need to have some sort of direction to be excited about. And so I plan to, I pulled out an Atlas and I was just looking at the world and I plan to kayak from Vancouver to Nicaragua to like through this, um, Lake Nicaragua, the San Juan river. And the reason why I chose there is because there's a, like a, a 13 mile portage from the Pacific ocean into Lake Nicaragua to get down the San Juan river into the Caribbean. And then from there I could follow the coast up to the Yucatan and then the Yucatan peninsula where like Cancun is, you can kayak across to Cuba and Cuba to Florida which is like only like 90 miles and then all the way back up the intercoastal waterway to Canada. And I would arrive home right in St. John. But at that time I'd never been in a kayak before. And uh, so I bought a kayak. I bought a folding kayak, which I have actually uh, recently uh, kayaked uh, portions of the coast of Cuba in my folding kayak with my wife um we i bought a folding kayak for her too and uh but uh anyway i'm 17 years old planning out my life of uh you know how am i going to do this you know like what what what's what's the, the the theme of this project and i called it max at school living an adventure novel and max was an action hero and max is a acronym for motivational academic experience so i i created this this image in my mind of the person that I wanted to become. And then I stepped into that role. So I, I actually um, went to cable television, you know, like to uh, cable 10 at the time. And uh, I created a television show called uh, extreme adventures where I went scuba diving and skydiving and had, you know, a camera crew follow me and this is all for free. I'm just doing it for the experience, right? But on the show, they called me Max. So it helped, you know, build that character in a way, right? Because I, again, I'm like, from that moment that I planned out my life, I'm just, I told everybody, this is what I'm going to do. So I don't back out of it, right? I mean, and this is, this is now who I am. I'm Max. And so um, uh, at age 19, I left from Vancouver with, oh, I should just say, I, 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 by the time I was ready to leave on my trip, I had bought this folding kayak and kayak to school, um, like in the mouth of, um, uh, like the Harbor, the St. John Harbor and around Partridge Island and stuff and had some adventures kayaking from like St. Martin's to home in St. John. So, you know, I was, look, I mean, it's on the Bay of Funday. It has a lot of currents, but not big swell. So starting in Vancouver and kayaking down the coast, the West coast of the United States is, you know, a big jump. There's huge waves crashing on the beach of Washington and Oregon and California. And when I posted my trip, when I said, I'm going to do this trip on kayaking forums, this was before, you know, this is, you know, chat rooms and stuff for kayaking um, back in the day, right? This is, we're talking, you know, 1997 here. Um, I told people this is what I was going to do. And they're placing bets on where my dead body was going to wash up on the shore. 
So they didn't have much faith that I was actually going to make it. Um, so I put my kayak in, in Vancouver and I had bought a kayak there. So I, I picked it up in Vancouver, loaded it full of gear, including my laptop. And, you know, it was just so heavy, all the gear that I was carrying, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I paddled down to Seattle, Seattle, Washington through the Puget Sound. Very beautiful. Um, had no problem. And then I, the whole idea was like paddle or walk the whole way. Um, so I would, you know, put my kayak on a cart. I had a little like cart with, you know, folding cart with wheels that I could put on the highway. If I wasn't gonna, you know, paddle, I could, you know, find some other way to get there and walk with the boat. So I got to the Chehalis, uh, river by doing like a 10 mile long portage and, um, like walking with all my stuff down the highway and people pulled over and like, Hey, why don't you just throw your kayak on and, you know, I'll take you. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do this all by myself. Right. And then I get to the black river and the black river. I mean, I couldn't have known it at the time, but the black river was just like choked with logs and stuff, log jams. And it was a real challenge, um, to get down through it, but it took me to the Chehalis river, which took me out to Gray's Harbor on the coast of Oregon on the coast of Washington. And, um, you know, there's like a big mud flats and stuff there that I had to deal with where when the tide goes out, you're kind of stranded like a quarter of a mile from land and, you know, had to move my boat through all this mud and stuff as hell. But anyway, I finally got to, uh, the ocean and I met a guy on a sailboat who said, you know, can you throw your kayak on the sailboat and help me sail this boat down to the mouth of the, ch- the, um, what was that river? Um, anyway, right at the top of Oregon, there's, there's a, a river that comes out there and, uh, it, it is a, a graveyard of, of sailing ships because where the water comes out, and the current comes in, it creates huge standing waves. And so it's just a really tricky place to single hand bring a boat in. And so I hummed and hawed about it. And I said, well, let me think about it. Because I really, I mean, this whole idea of like, oh, I'm going to do it all by myself. Um, it, it would, that was more of an ego trip. You're right. Like, like they, that, that wasn't in line with having an adventure where, you're open to anything you're open to um you know whatever life throws at you you know it's like no i'm gonna be strict i'm gonna i was like creating my my own institution in a way here you know like that i was gonna do this and so i decided to do the sale with him you know it was only a one day sale it wasn't a big deal but it just really opened up my trip to whatever was to come whatever possibilities were to come and, uh, so for, from there, I did kayak the entire coast of Oregon and, uh, it was, it was really tricky getting on and off the beach through, you know, sometimes 10 foot high waves and the waves would like crash over me and I'd have to like, uh, you know, it'd be set after set of waves, you know, and sometimes I'd like wash back up on shore cause I just don't have the energy to go see when you have a shallow beach the waves kind of pile up when you have a steep beach, one wave kind of just crashes onto the beach. And if you can get through that one wave, then you're now safe out in the ocean. But when it's a shallow beach, 
it's just like you know surf after surf that you have to pound through so here i am a brand new kayaker doing this gnar super gnarly coast that other kayakers wouldn't think of doing but in my naive in my naivete in my you know youthful ignorance i was just like i'm just doing it you know i'm gonna put on a scuba mask and a snorkel and i'm gonna if i flip over the kayak i'll you know i'll whatever you know I'm, I'm you know i'm just a single guy with you know all the piss and vinegar you know i'm just gonna do it and now thinking of it you know i'm now you know 44 years old i'm like man i was crazy you know i mean not like crazy but it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't know better you know you're just kind of like bumbling your way through things you actually can get somewhere right so I, I, I kayaked the entire coast of Oregon. I, I, I crashed my kayak um, coming in through a 20-foot high wave in Northern California and uh, busted up my boat a, a bit and had to get it fixed um, at a, like a Coast Guard base and, you know, re-fiberglass it and stuff and ended up meeting some rock climbers and other kayakers and and so I went rock climbing in Yosemite and then paddled out through the Golden Gate at San Francisco and kayaked the rest of the way down to um, to uh, San Diego and then uh, came home and did a slideshow tour. So a big part of my whole Max at School Living and Adventure novel was that I'm sharing this all live on the Internet. Okay, so this is in 1997. My website is solomax.com. And there's not that many websites like this is a blog before the word blog was invented. So you can go on solomax.com right now and read my journal of all of this. And uh, Irving uh, sponsored me to get a, a satellite phone. So when I was uh, kayaking the coast of the inside of the Baja Peninsula, the Sea of Cortez, my dad joined with me for two months. And so uh, that was a, a great experience, just like spear fishing every day, like at a spear gun, like a, like a sh you shoot the fish with this big long gun. And I mean, it was so exciting. It was my favorite thing to do. And we have fish every day for supper and just a lovely time with my dad. And he had never kayaked before. And he like one day there was a big swell and he capsized like seven times. And one time was like, pretty close to a cliff where the waves were crashing into the cliff. And, you know, we had some great adventures. Um, but just to have that time with my dad was wonderful. And he's, you know, he, he, I, he raised me doing kayak trips or no, sorry, uh, canoe trips. So we, he led boys wilderness canoe trips, uh, for like 10 men and 20 boys each summer. So that was really inspirational for me that my dad was taking responsibility for other people's children to take them out to have adventures that they wouldn't otherwise have. And um, so a week long canoe trip with all, you know, food and everything paid for, for like uh, the trip was like a hundred dollars, which included all transportation and food and everything. So he would look after buying all the meals and organizing everything. All people had to do is show up and, you know, and so I was like, this is a real educator, you know, like he was a high school chemistry teacher. Well, he actually taught me in junior high as well. But I, 
I just really felt like the education that I learned through these canoe trips and through his example of taking responsibility for other people's children, that was a, um, a real, I don't know, just a inspiration for me. And my grandfather was also a, a like a principal of a one room schoolhouse at age 17. And he was an educator his whole life. Uh, his name's Allison Richardson. And he was the principal of Barnhill school in St. John. Um, and, um, he took his students on bicycle trips and he went overseas 36 times and they would put their bicycles on freighter ships and like go over the ocean. And this was back when, you know, there was, they weren't using telephones and stuff like they are now. So he would book a hostel by writing a letter and it would take, you know, a month or two to get to the hostel to book the place and then a month for them to write back and, you know, say, yes, we have reserved your booking or whatever. And uh, so him leading all these kids on these bike trips, you know, I'm sure inspired my father. So, I mean, he, he used to take his eighth grade classes to Maine and they'd bicycle from uh, St. John all the way to Maine. And he would drive a station wagon ahead of the kids set up tents and set up the food and everything. And the kids would arrive on their bikes and he would have everything set up. So, I mean, it, it now taking people like guiding people on trips like this is kind of feels like a, you know, a family tradition. Right. So that's where I learned, learned this from is from my dad and my grandfather. But, um, I'm, I can't go into my, my whole two year kayak trip, but, um, I had a, a an experience where I was in um, central Mexico uh, living with indigenous people there. Um, they don't like calling themselves indigenous, um, but you know, they, they are, they're living in mud huts and they're just like, they're just rural people, right? They're just like chickens and pigs are running through their house and, you know, they're, they live in a spot where people have lived for 3000 years. It's where the people who made Mexico city before they like left and went over the mountains to go make, made Mexico city. This is where the original people lived. And there's, there's artifacts in these shell mounds. So the people who live there, they used to eat lots of oysters. And, um, so they would lose their uh, artifact. Well, they didn't call them artifacts. they, they, they had these little balls called melacates, and I actually have some here, these 3,000-year-old f- finely carved pottery balls that they use for spinning yarn with. And uh, they would find these in these pottery mounds and uh, pipes and all this stuff. And I was just fascinated that these people, they just had like a box of artifacts under their bed, you know, like, and lots of people had them because they find them all over the place. And they don't bother turning it into a museum or anything. So uh, anyway, I was living with these people. Um, I had showed up there because I had heard about the shell mounds. I had heard about a pyramid of shells. I was like, oh, my God, this place sounds amazing. Um, a guy, a dentist in Mazatlan had told me about it, that he had heard about it through like National Geographic. So I, I, I paddled in there into the estuary and found these people using dugout canoes and i'm like this is like 
like a a time capsule. Like these people are just like a place out of time, you know, like, and uh, I, they actually had me smoke some, not had me, but they had some weed that they grew or something. And they had me smoke some weed with them out of one of these 3000 year old pipes. And I got really nervous. I got really freaked out. Like, um, I had only started smoking weed when I was 20. So this is just like months before this had happened. Right. But I got, I got a little paranoid and I was like, I got to leave here. I, I, these people are being so nice to me. It's almost like they're, they're going to take advantage of me in some way. You know, they're giving me these artifacts and stuff. And I was like, no, I got to leave right now. But I had promised them that I would make them a mobile out of the shells and barbed wire and cool things that I had found there. And so um, here I am packing my kayak and all the townspeople are watching me. You know, all the people are there showed up because, I mean, I'm the only show in town. Right. Uh, And so I'm packing my kayak and then I got all this stuff that I collected, all these shells and things that I collected. And I'm making them a mobile out of the wire and the wood and everything. And I hold it up and I'm like, oh, who wants it? And they're like, they're like, that's just a bunch of junk. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just put it on my kayak and take it with me then. And they're all like, you know, slapping mosquitoes. And, you know, it was, it was kind of a scene, but I, I'm paddling away through the estuary. It's getting dark and the stars come out and it's completely like glassy calm. And so there's stars reflecting off the water and there's bioluminescence um, coming off the front of my kayak. So the water is glowing. The water is glowing with bioluminescence, you know, like the the bacteria or whatever it is that's in the water, it's glowing. And I am tripping out. I'm like stars above stars below there's nothing but darkness all around me and flashing bits of light from bioluminescence. And I feel like the starship enterprise, you know, when the starship enterprise goes into hyperspeed, it's got this like, you know, thing going on, um, this light coming off the front of it. And I was like, I snapped out of it. I'm like, those people were nothing but kind to me. And I just left them and they think I'm crazy for, you know, Cause they invited me to stay and whatnot. So I just turned around, I'm, you know, it's pitch black now. And I'm like, I don't even know where I'm going to go and camp. So I turned around the boat and I went back and I parked the boat. Nobody's around. Everyone's in their, in their houses now. And I go back to the house of the, the family who had kind of like adopted me, the first guy who had found me and he was in his house and I knock on the door and I step inside and he's like, big smile, Max, like so happy to see me. And I end up staying there for, for months and learning so much from these people because they have nothing in comparison to what, what we have in our modern culture, you know, but they are the nicest people. They are so kind and so generous uh, like they would just give you the shirt off their back. And that really taught me that like whatever people are striving for all the material wealth that they're striving for, if they don't have that sense of community, like, and that sense of belonging 
like what I found in Roblito. Roblito is the name of this little village. It's only like 250 people. Um, if they don't have that sense of community and that sense of like, like that's what really makes you rich. I, I felt that these people were, were rich because of the sense of pride that they have, the sense of, even though they don't have a lot of stuff, you know, they don't have cars, they don't have fancy clothes, but they do have a real pride. And I, I learned a lot from them. And so that was a turning point in my kayak trip. I, I was just like, I think I should, you know, maybe, you know, be a little bit more open here, like about what I'm doing. And uh, actually something else that had brought on, uh, you know, that this decision of like, uh, you know, maybe I, I don't need to continue on my kayak trip right now uh, is there was a mountain on the horizon called Sierra de Muerto, uh, the mountain of death or, you know, dead person's mountain. And it looks like the profile of it looks like a person laying down. So the top of the mountain is the nose and I'm in Roblito and I'm like, it's the highest peak on the horizon. And I said, I'm going to go climb that mountain. And everyone in the village was like, no, it's muy lejos, muy alto. I tigres. So they're like, no, it's very high. It's very far. There's snakes, there's tigers. Like you don't want to go there. And I'm like, it's not very far. I can see it. It's right there. Like I'll just paddle through the estuary and, you know, go climb the mountain. And they thought I was crazy, you know? So I paddled through the estuary, but ended up getting lost. And some fishermen from, uh, I mean, the, the estuary is like a labyrinth. If you can just imagine when, as the tide goes up and down pathways, you know, appear and disappear. Like, so anyway, these, these people from Palmias, which is a town at the base of the mountain, they, they find me and they take me home and I sleep overnight at their house. And the next morning I, I'm walking to the mountain to go climb it. And people are like, Oh, where are you going to climb? And I'm like, uh, or they say, where are you going? And I'm going, Oh, I'm going to climb the mountain. And they're like, Oh no, like there's snakes, there's tigers. It's far. Like, don't do it. Nobody goes. And I was like, you guys live right below the mountain. And like, you don't go climb the mountain. And they're like, no, but we need to take you to a guy who has climbed the mountain. And so I met this guy, El Fego and El Fego was like, yeah, it's dangerous, but I have climbed it. Let me show you the path. And I, let me show you where there's water on the mountain. And so where there's a spring, because you'll need to have that. So as we were walking towards the mountain, everybody would say, um, where are you going? And we're like, oh, we're going to climb the mountain. And it became like a parade of people going to climb the mountain. And uh, it started to get steeper and steeper. And they're like, well, let us carry your things. Because I was, you know, had all this water and I had my big backpack. And I was like, no, no, I'll carry it. But as like it got a little steeper and thorn bushes and all this stuff, I was like, okay, uh, you, you can help me. So I was afraid, like, it, here I am handing over all my gear to these random people that I have no idea who they are. And they're like taking off. They're like going way ahead of me. And they're saying, oh, well, we're going to go find where the water is. When we find the chicle tree, we'll find the water. And I'm like, it hasn't rained here for eight months. We're not going to find any water. And the chicle tree is actually what they make chiclets out of, right? So they, they, they have a 
a slingshot and they can fire it at the tree and make like a little dent in it. And this white liquid will ooze out of the tree. And they showed me, you know, how they do it. So um, they ended up, I, I was like, you guys go ahead. I, I don't believe that you're going to find water. And then they end up calling Max, Max, we found water. And so they actually did find the spring. They knew it, where it was. And so I camped out that night where the spring was and they, uh, the last person to leave was like, Oh, don't worry. There's no tigers here right now because, um, it's late in the season or whatever. But that night, all of the animals would come and visit the spring and I would be like rattling my pots and stuff to scare them away. Cause it was freaking me out. But anyway, that di- the next following day, I climbed the mountain and I, I, you know, I'm climbing actually like rock climbing uh, up a cliff face and I'm finding like hornets nests and snake skins. And I have ticks all over me. I had like a hundred ticks all over me and I had to take off all my clothes and pick out these ticks. And I get to the top of the mountain. I'm hearing like sticks break and things. I'm like, Oh my God, it's a tiger. So I pull out my pepper spray and my machete and, you know, mock into the top of the mountain screaming. And then I see cow turds. So it was actually like cows on top of the mountain, right? So I on the top of the mountain, there's there's a a, 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 a cave that drops straight down from the top of the mountain, like like a nostril, and I'm like, this is unbelievable, you know, like this cave. I'm dropping rocks down. I can't hear them hit the bottom. So I'm like, oh, this is this sounds dangerous. This seems like freaking crazy. Uh, so I. I decide not to go down the, the cave, and but I found that my water bag had a, a pinprick in it. So I it, my my water had leaked out, and I had like a cup of water left. And there's no trees on the mountain. I mean, they're just spindly little trees. There's not much shade, and so I couldn't climb back down the cliff that I climbed up. So I had to walk down the long way all the way around the back of the mountain through thorn bushes, and I literally thought I was going to die, like. I was just, my body was raw from getting scratched up and the ticks and everything. And I was literally like crawling, you know, th- through the thorn bushes and stuff. And I, I made a deal with, with God. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not a real religious person, but when you feel like you're going to die, you start making deals with God. You know, you start, you're so humbled. You're just like, okay, listen, if you allow me to survive, I wasn't actually maybe praying to God. I was praying to the mountain. Okay. Cause I felt like the mountain had a certain energy to it that nobody goes to visit the mountain and the mountain did want visitors. So I made a deal with the mountain that if it let me go, I would bring other people back. I would bring people, I would make a trail on the mountain and bring people back to the mountain. Okay. So I survived and I got back to the watering hole where they had led me to and they saved my life. Cause I was able to like drink from this puddle basically, you know? And, um, and then I went back to Canada. I left my kayak hanging in a tree in Roblito. I went back to Canada and I made some more money and did some kayak uh, guiding and whatnot. And then I drove my Subaru wagon all the way back to Roblito. And I 
I spent several days making a trail and putting ropes and whatnot all the way up the mountain. I have a friend of mine that went, went with me, a girl from Texas and uh, her name was seed. And so we made, we, we macheted a trail all the way to the top of the mountain and put ropes. And I took a car full of kids, like teenage boys from Roblito to go climb the mountain. And we camped on top of this massive boulder on top of the mountain and they had a great time and everything went smoothly. And then when we were driving back to Roblito, uh, the boys seemed sad. And I was like, why are you guys so bummed out? And they're like, well, we're sad because the other people in the village didn't get to experience it. And I was like, they, they didn't want to brag about this great experience that they had because the others would feel bad about it. Now, I mean, maybe in our culture, we want to post it on Instagram and make everybody feel, you know, jealous or maybe, you know, like, and, you know, talk about it. I'm sure a lot of kids would probably want to do that. Right. But they were so in touch with the other people's feelings that they did not want to make people feel bad about it. You know? And I just thought that was so sensitive of them. Um, that that's the kind of stuff that that kind of emotional intelligence that Roblito was my school. You know, it was my, I'm, I'm, I'm I have, I have a tear in my eye. I don't know if you can see, but even thinking about it right now, um, makes me a little teary, but, um, the family that I live with there, they gave me a plot of land to create a school. So my, my goal then became was to create a summer camp like school in Roblito. So I found, I, I was like, okay, this is my thing. I, I want to create a school. So they gave me land to create a school. And so for several years, I would bring people from Burning Man and Rainbow Gatherings to Roblito and they would bring soccer shoes. They brought guitar, a piano, a sewing machine, like all this stuff to these people who couldn't afford, you know, these things, soccer shoes, all this stuff, because they would play soccer in their bare feet. And we would play with the people, you know, we would set up a, a free summer camp for the people in Roblito, but like we were getting maybe more out of it than they were. Right. So, um, and when I say that, I mean, the whole thing was I'm bringing people there my friends that I've convinced to come and have this experience to do this, uh, what I call the Roblito, you know, community center for cultural exchange was the, was what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, that was not just for them. It was for us, you know, to introduce people to these, to this other way of living. So, um, I'm telling you all this because the school isn't a building. The school is, the experience, right? The school is about interaction with people and you can't always have a, curric a curric cur curriculum to say, oh, you know, I'm, I want to learn this and these are the steps that I need to do to learn this thing. Sometimes you just need to throw yourself into a situation, into the unknown, and you're going to learn a whole bunch of things and things that you can't even imagine you're going to learn. You're going to learn because when you go into the unknown, that's where learning happens. You know, you don't learn very much doing things that you always do.
So, um, you know, you learn the most by making mistakes, right? Uh, so after several years of, of doing that, um, g- taking people there, um, I, I was going to ra- rainbow gatherings and burning man and meeting a lot of, a lot of interesting folks. And that was like school for me as well. Learning about, um, alternative culture in the United States. Um, I don't know if you know much about rainbow gatherings, but it's like a week long gathering of, you know, hippies from all over the world, you know, just like we used to call them hippies, but other people would say, Oh yeah, here's a bunch of people running around naked and sharing food and you know, whatever. So the way that they work, the way that these two festivals work is that groups of friends host uh, a camp. And in that camp, they provide a service. Maybe it's, Kickapoo Pizza making pizza or Montana Mud making coffee. So anybody who shows up gets a free cup of coffee or gets a, a slice of pizza. And the whole purpose of this group is just to have this like, you know, this gift. It's the gifting economy, you know, or the love economy, as I like to call it. And so that's what brings you together. You have a purpose. You make you make something which is a gift to the whole festival. And so Burning Man's the same way. You know, some Burning Man is, you know, a little funkier, a little sexier or whatever, you know, more techno music, that kind of stuff. Uh, and there, you know, you pay your ticket. Uh, Rainbow Gatherings are are free, uh, but there you pay your ticket. But after that, the only things you can buy at Burning Man are like ice and coffee, uh, which are sold by like the Burning Man organization. Everything else is free. So um, all the bars, all free, serving free drinks. You want to go get uh, your, your breakfast. You go get pancakes served by a lady in a French maid's uh, outfit, you know, wearing nothing but underwear. Uh, you know, uh, you want you want you, you want to have your, you know, genital ID taken. You go and you get you go and you get your, te- your, your genitals photographed and put on an ID card that you can wear on your on your chest. You know, it's just like ridiculous stuff right but every camp has some sort of offering and so um that's always been my goal is to create a a a festival here or a, a kind of festival culture in in the maritimes that is more like camp based where these camps would provide a a a service or an artwork or something so my goal now is uh, I, I, I bought a 10 acre plot of land uh, b- between like St. Martin's and Hampton. And it's uh, a beautiful forest with waterfalls. And I raised the money through crowdfunding. So I put down $10,000 uh, in a tax sale and said, I'm going to pay $10,000, which is like the, the, the bidding price. That's like $9,000 I think was a bidding price. But I said, to ensure that we get it, I'm going to take memberships of $500 and anybody who gives me $500 now has a lifelong membership to come and camp on this land and create this festival, you know, or this school as I'm, you know, framing it. It's like a school that we're creating ourselves uh, for ourselves. And so we raised like $16,000. So on top of my $10,000 that I bid, we raised another six thousand dollars, 
And, and uh, so now we own this land uh, or I, I own it. It's in my name, but the goal would be to make it a land trust. So when I trust that the membership has a good grasp on the, the values that I want the school or the festival to adhere to, which is that we have talking circles. We meet in circle to, to plan events and to, um, you know, every morning we would have a circle and each night we'd, we'd have a circle. So in the morning we have a circle, which is like your planning circle to say what you want to do that day so that we can all get on the same page. And the circle at night is the show and tell to talk about what you learned that day and to share a poem or a song or whatever, you know, whatever you did that day, that's how we learn from each other, you know? So the structure that I'm trying to create is the circle. And what that means is that it's a non-hierarchical structure. That means that you're not coming to, you know, Corey's project where I'm, you come and you have to do what I say. You bring whatever you want to do to the circle and you say, Hey, this is my project. This is what I want to do. And if people think that's not a good idea, then we'll let you know, you know, but that's not me. You're not coming to me asking permission. So one of my fundamental things that I learned from rainbow gathering is that, you know, the circle is the really only alternative that I know to the top down hierarchical structure that we're all familiar with, where you have, you know, a priest or a chief or whatever that sets the standard and everyone else is disempowered in my view, because you have to ask permission of that higher authority, you know, to, to do anything, you know, you're like, Oh, well ask the chief and see what they have to say. And I don't think that's, that's, that's disempowering, you know? So what I'm, what, what one of my goals in life is, is to, create these talking circle spaces in parks and playgrounds all over the place so that there's just a ring of stones or a ring of logs and people can sit in a circle and tell stories and, you know, share whatever's on their mind or, you know, Hey, I need a babysitter or, Hey, I got an extra, you know, basket full of squash if anybody wants them or, you know, that kind of thing. And so the circle is a way for people to, you know, a meeting of the minds to get on the same page, to create a consensus so that you don't need to have a whole bunch of laws that we all abide by. We have more like an agreement that is updated all the time. You know, we're continuously checking in with each other so that the rules aren't just set in stone. The rules are kind of like, you know, what is the appropriate solution for now? You know, what is the most appropriate thing now? And it also, people have to own it. People have to own, like, we we have decided that this is the way forward or this is what the appropriate action. And so I'm coming at this project, this school that I'm talking about called Dream Seed. So I call my farm Dream Seed Farm and the the land is dream seed and i think dreams and seeds are two of the most uh, powerful and undervalued things 
because everything comes from a dream. Everything that's been created has, has come from a thought at one time, right? And everything also that was created also comes from a seed. So, you know, and, 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 and when you have like a dream, it's kind of like building uh, a castle in the clouds. You need to build that foundation under it to, you know, to stabilize it. And I find that the more that you tell people about your dream, that's building that foundation, you know, so that it, it becomes more and more solid. Cause I mean, nobody knows your dreams unless you tell them. And by you telling people, this is who I am and this is what I want to do. They start seeing you in that light and they can help you. Oh, I know that you want to do this. So I know somebody who knows what you know, or has the tools that you need. So it's been a real theme for me, obviously, to, uh, you know, create that action hero persona or to, you know, set goals in this way of like, Hey, everybody, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think about it? Type thing. Right. Um, so I, I, when I was doing all these projects in, in, um, can you tell I like to talk? <laughs> you, you haven't asked, I haven't asked a question for uh, 40 minutes here, but, uh, and this is all stuff that I've said a million times to a million people, but, uh, I'm just going to show you this, lo this logo here for the action hero network. So the action hero network, mm -hmm. your network is your grassroots community. And the hero's journey is going from the seed. See the little dot there? So this is actionherownetwork.net. Your network is your grassroots community. The hero's journey is mm -hmm. to take action and to branch out to do something new. And the fruits of your labor is love. So what you do is you take mm -hmm. the, the energy and the tools and the people from here and you take action. So the people that you want to, um, that you want to work with, like you, Mr. AT personality right here. I want you in the Action Hero Network. You are already in the Action Hero Network because everybody is an action hero. This is part of it. We are all action heroes. Sometimes we just don't believe it. You know, we don't step into those roles. But what I'm what this is a mind map. What I'm showing you right now, this logo, the Action Hero Network logo is a mind map. So what you would do is you'd write the names of the people in these letters up here. And this is something I do when I go to schools and I talk about mind mapping and life planning. I use the Action Hero Network logo as, as an example of that. So what you do is you write these people's names up here in the action, and then you write the people's names in your community down here that might have the knowledge or the tools to connect with these people so that you can help. So you are a bridge between the known world and the unknown or the dream world. We are the bridge, the hero. Okay. So that's how, that's how that works. And then the fruits of our labor, the fruits is the love returns to the earth to nourish the network, right? So how is these fruits going to benefit the whole thing? So this is, this is a reciprocal process, right? This looks like, what, what do they call that? The Taurus or something that, that, that energy flowing spiral like that. So, you know, this is, this is the, 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 the cure, I think for the top down hierarchical system, you know, as the leader, you're not at the top, you're actually a pillar 
holding up the people who need help in your community, right? So um, that's where we're at now. That's, I mean, I did this kayak trip, but I, I didn't, you know, get to Nicaragua and Cuba and Florida. But I did achieve my goal of having a website. Um, I had 4 million people visit my website um, over, you know, a span of, I don't know how many years it's still, the website's still up, but for the first, let's say four years, I had 4 million people visit it. So that is uh, a lot of people for that time when the internet was very, very young. I was featured in chicken soup for the soul. Uh, I was, you know, in lots of newspaper articles and different things. So there's a lot of people in St. John and other places uh, that were following this trip. I got emails from all over the world of people who were following me, you know, through this, this blog. Right. Um, and uh, so I just, I took all of that learning and I just made my life about summer camp, you know, like this idea that the school that I was creating was not a place. The school was an experience. And so I, I, I never went to university. I, but I've been able to teach at many universities where I do lectures and I do, you know, talks, um, about, uh, you know, my kayak trip or about life planning. Um, I'm, I'm a professional hula hooper, if you can believe that. I mean, I don't, maybe you've seen me hula hoop, but, uh, it just seems like such a ridiculous thing to say being a professional hula hooper, but, um, I teach people how to hula hoop in gym classes. Uh, so I, I'm not really like uh, a person who wants to be up on stage hula hooping. I mean, I do that too, but I'm more like, Hey, let me teach you some tricks so that you can have fun with it. You know? So you can like, cause people, they don't know where to start. You teach them a few tricks. They build their confidence a little bit. And then, then they're like, Oh, I can do this. Right. So I just feel like my job is really more like an art therapist I, I teach beadworking. So we sit in a circle and we make these little beaded dragonflies probably have one around here somewhere. Um, so I've made like hundreds of little beaded dragonflies where we're sitting in a circle with a bunch of kids or adults, doesn't matter how old you are. And we bead something that's like physically the size of a dragonfly that fits on a pin with like beads and wire. And then people, after they make it, um, well, while they're making it, they're, they're weaving their intention of what kind of person that they want to become into that because the dragonfly is a, um, uh, a symbol of metamorphosis. It spends two years underwater as a nymph, uh, before it becomes a dragonfly. So it spends two years as this like swimming little creature and then it emerges as the dragonfly and it's only a dragonfly for like two weeks or a month and then it's dead. So it spends most of its life in its nymph stage. And for me, my kayak trip, which was two years, was like my nymph stage. And then when I started going to Burning Man and rainbow gatherings, hula hooping, it was like I got my my dragonfly wings, right? My 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 hula hoop is like my dragonfly wings and so I, uh, I use those metaphors for doing the bead working and whatnot. So when people are 
making their their dragonfly they're projecting the meaning of who they want to become onto that art object so that when people see the dragonfly they say oh that's cool and then then they say i made it and this is what it means so it's reinforcing that idea that the same concept so i mean everything that i'm telling you about you know learning how to hula hoop and thinking oh i am a hula hooper you know even if you do it a little bit oh i can do this so oh people say oh i'm not an artist i'm not, i'm like no you, just cuz you're not in the practice of being an artist you made this beaded this little beaded dragonfly you are an artist so start seeing yourself art as an artist so that's um a big part of my my magic i guess you could say is trying to make people believe you know it's all about make believe right Mm. Wow, man. I, I feel like I could respond and, and speak to so many of these things. A, a few things that I was particularly uh, inspired by as I was listening is, and, and knowing you also, Corey, is the power of story. You are such a tremendous reminder of the power of story to, to ground us out of our head and back into our hearts and that seed of possibility that exists when we are uh, allow ourselves to sit in story. And, you know, I love how you created this character, this persona. It's like, oh, Corey can't do that trip, but Max can, you know, he, he can get out there and go and do these things. And then that became this lived reality. And, you know, noting your, your take on learning as an experiential process and a, a collaborative process and an ongoing process that requires hardship and breaking outside of our comfort zone it's such a different concept than what our traditional schooling system is used to. And perhaps that's by design, you know, P perhaps that's by design to remain entrenched in the power dynamic institutions that, you know, disempower us from a young age. So we seek outside of ourselves for what is true, seek outside of ourselves for how we ought to do something. Am I doing this right? And rather than looking within to that intuitive knowing, I'm looking out to some some hierarchical power source, be that a parent or a, an official or, you know, whatever hierarchy we're talking about, insert there. I'm looking outside for what is right and what is good rather than that knowing that I'm born with of, of what is right and what is true. And, you know, I, I love what you've been doing with the Dream Seed land and, and how you've been putting that out even prior to the land and, and this emphasis on community. I, there's a definition of leadership that I quite like, and I think you, you embody that so well, Corey, is that a leader is somebody who brings out the best in people and processes. And so we don't need to look at what position, of what hierarchical position they occupy, but do they uplift and inspire the people in their sphere? Do they, do they produce the fruits of love in their thoughts, in their speech, and in their actions? And I think that speaks for itself. And when we can create that landscape that we are all students and we are all teachers and we don't need to change anything just to show up and to come as we are and to co-create together in that space, that, that intention moves me to my core. And I agree. I think it's time to evolve past institutional ideas of, of existence that keep us small that keep us dulled down and and powerless to affect 
change and to live a life that's authentic. And I'm wondering from your perspective, like in a culture where we're bombarded with ideas and images of what we should be, how do we carve out an identity for ourselves that remains true and authentic? Well, journal writing has been a huge tool for me. Um, finding your voice is so important. You know, you're just, when you, when you write with your, with your hand, you know, with, with a, I'm just going to grab a pencil here. When you, when you focus your consciousness through the tip of a pencil or a pen, you have to clarify your thoughts. You can't be wishy-washy. I mean, we have a million thoughts about all kinds of stuff, but when you, when you have to focus your attention through the tip of a pen, you really decide, what do I really think about this? What do I think about that? And then when you can express it to other people, when you can put your thoughts out there for everyone to read, whether that be in circle or for me through my, my journal. And, you know, maybe I was expressing things about, I mean, my story, my solo max story is, is a coming of age story, right? I mean, this is a teenager that is throwing himself out into the world, had never had sex, had never smoked pot. You know, I was, I was, I mean, I was raised in a religious home, you know, I was just like, I'd never done, I'd never traveled before. Like I was just throwing myself out there at whatever the world had to offer me and being completely open and writing about it, honestly, very honestly, brutally, honestly, for literally millions of people to read. And, um, you know, when you are that honest and you worry, what are people going to think? And then nothing happens. You're like, Oh, nothing happened. All right. You know, it's like the world doesn't come to an end because people think you're weird. Okay. I got over the idea that people, I know people think I'm weird, but, uh, as, um, as Tom Waits says, uh, expand your abnormality. It's okay to be weird. Weird is good. Weird means that you're not just following the, following the crowd, that you're allowing yourself to be yourself, you know? So I, my friends are the weirdest, you know, my friends are, I think my friends are all stars. Actually, they're all stars in their own ways. They do things that are uniquely themselves and they accept themselves for who they are, you know? And, uh, that's that's something that is for me has come through journal writing and that i promote you know to other people if you want to know yourself uh pick up a pen mm, i love that i i actually got into something that's called morning pages where i write uh, three pages a day every single morning um whether i'm excited to or not and uh, i started that just over a year ago in march and it's it's dramatically changed my life and uh, you know it's starting the day in a conversation with yourself in a really intimate way it has definitely helped me be uh, more honest with myself and I, I also love that idea Corey of surrounding yourself with people who reflect that mirror you know people who are willing to get weird 
as well and, and surround yourself in that because we're in such a culture that again, you know, it reinforces that every opportunity that we're not enough. And so, you know, we, we're seeking this sense of being enough and man, it, it's so beautiful to share presence with other people. And we, we don't need to feel like we have to perform or be anything other than we are there. There's something so healing in that within this culture that we live in. Yeah. I find that in circle where I invite people to do uh, like a, like a video circle. Like we're having a, a chat right now and some people like they don't want to do it. Cause like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like mm. you don't have to say anything, you know? I mean, maybe you're going to be inspired and you're going to think of things that you wouldn't have thought of before because people are going to say things that you never thought of before and something will bubble up and it's okay if you don't say anything, you know, like a circle, like don't waste our time talking about stuff that doesn't matter. Sing your heart song. Tell us what's really going on for you, you know? And I, I mean, it's important to have a safe space where people, it's not to say people won't judge you. I mean, supposedly the, um, the, the Dalai Lama said, uh, uh, you know, only a fool does not judge a man by his clothing. So judging isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just mean being discerning. You know, uh, I would rather people tell me what they think so I can stay clear of them. If I don't like them, <laughs> you know, I don't want people being fake around me and, you know, smiling to my face and then talking shit about me behind my back or whatever. Like I want people to be honest and I can handle honesty, but I can't handle uh, lies and manipulation. You know, I would rather sit in circle with people and them tell me what's really going on for them. And, uh, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong or what I'm doing right or whatever, then we can fix it. Then we can like move on. But when people, when a lot goes unsaid and a lot does go unsaid, you know, like the reason why it's so important that we show up at circle, uh, you know, each morning or and night, uh, for those who are on the dream seed land is that we don't want people showing up there and, you know, a week goes by and they're not showing up at circle. And we're like, who is this person? Like, what, are, what are they doing here? You know, it's like, it's a way to, to really get to know everybody and to, 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 to check in with everybody. So if you don't want to show up at circle and, you know, tell us what's going on for you, then this isn't for you. You know, that's, this isn't a place to party. Yeah, we'll have parties. We'll have fun. But the fun is in getting to know each other. The fun is in the building of, of creating the hobbit houses and the tree houses and the playground. And we're here to work. Like the, the fun is in the building of the thing. Like don't just show up for the party, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I, I really agree with what you're saying too about that deep desire for honesty. And I'm somebody who can get stuck up in my head and that I, you know, we're meaning making creatures. Right. And so where our mind has gaps, it wants to move to fill in its own understanding and we'll create our own stories around these things. And, and rather than being in and knowing what's alive in the other person or what they're needing or what I'm needing, we can get stuck in these delusional stories that don't even exist in the realm of reality. And for me, that's a really uncomfortable place that I don't, I don't like spending much time in because it's not, 
it's not real anyways. And in addition, we were talking before about institutions and, and I think we're at a time in society where more people than ever have become disillusioned with the archaic institutions that we've allowed to govern us as the people for some time, wide variety of institutions, corporate institutions, governmental institutions, religious institutions, you name it. And, And so there's this growing disillusionment. And I think, you know, so many of us are, are fed up. So many people are, but we're stuck also. Yeah, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? About it, right? Like the, the institution right. is this right. big, powerful thing. The, the parliament buildings of Canada and, and like, I mean, you look at the, the cathedrals of Europe or whatever, it has such a big, powerful, imposing building. It must be real. Right. But the way that I see government is like, we should live our lives like government doesn't even exist. Like it, it sh- we shouldn't have to spend it. Sh- government should work so easily and so uh, fluidly that we shouldn't have to be bumping our heads up against it or thinking about it at all. So like, I'm really not impressed by the cult of personality. I'm not impressed by, you know, any political figures or whatever. I have n- very little time and attention for the cult of personality. So um, what people think government actually is, you know, the way government actually works compared to what it's supposed to be. I think we don't know anything. I think the way that things actually play out is that our politicians are the messenger people for the masters. Okay. So there's people who actually do have some control over the world, but they only do so by casting spells, by wielding the power of money and economy and all this stuff. But all of that is make believe the money doesn't really exist. It's just numbers plotted into a computer now more than ever. And so, you know, Justin Trudeau is not He's not sitting at his desk working hard, writing laws and all this stuff. He is merely the water carrier for the billionaires. That's all he is. He serves his constituents are the billionaires that he serves, you know? So you think that he's, you know, giving you this child benefit program and blah, 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 blah. You know what? They're doing everything they can to serve uh, the global elites, not the regular, uh, you know, middle-class Canadians. They are not telling the truth. They are basically uh, professional liars as far as I'm concerned. So whatever people think that they're going to elect a new, a new politician who's going to, you know, who's going to be their friend and speak on their behalf um, myself and a lot of other people are, yeah, don't believe it anymore. And, and the only, the only solution to that, to giving our power away to them is to have real community, meaning really knowing your neighbors, really understanding who has the resources and the tools that live around you. Um, and, and, and we can thank COVID for forcing us to 
and I say COVID in, you know, parentheses, um, let's just say in the, the past two years, because of all the lockdowns and all of this stuff, we have been forced to meet our neighbors, the people who are maybe more freedom minded. Um, and so now I have a better community than ever because of the people who stuck to their guns and said, I'm not going to become a GMO human. You know, I mean, hey, I, I want to create a T-shirt that says I survived COVID and, you know, G- have a little GMO free label on it type thing. You know, uh, you know, it's just people are realizing what's important now. You know, I think more than ever they're living, you know, kids are living with their families. People are moving out of the cities and buying a plot of land and growing food for themselves. So I think there's a lot to, that we've benefited <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe things are going in a, in a, in a good direction, even if, you know, um, the uh, the gas prices are high and all of that. Maybe it's all engineered because of, you know, climate change. You know, um, I think it's all engineered to make people drive less and and transfer wealth to the wealthy. <laughs> so, well, it, there certainly seems be um an agenda at at play and you know it's just varying degrees of falling down down rabbit holes and there's one i believe being informed is is a great thing and we're all going to have different ideas and definitions of information but as you said earlier that bigger question is so what right and and at the end of the day so what what do we do about this stuff and and how do we move regardless of the degree of nefarity or maybe they're just stumbling through and genuinely trying to do the best and but we've moved into this age. We've gone beyond that promise of the American dream of the comfort and the convenience and this globalist idea of utopia. And this, these last two years have really triggered a back down to the local. People want to be disconnecting. People value privacy. They value community. They value self-sufficiency and, and sovereignty. And we look at how easily supply chains can be disrupted. And in our province alone, we're importing over 90% of our produce. We can do better. We can do better. And the way we're going to do that is not wait for a policy to take shape or for some dictate from somebody else to tell us how to live. And I, I think that really aligns with how you live your life in a really non-dogmatic way, a way, a heart-centered way that you're, you're inspired. And I, I aspire to myself to, to live in a way that's like, no, this is my life. And I want to be aligned with my intuitive center and, and act from that place. That's not selfish. That's being honest. And if I'm connected with that heart space, then I'll have my ability and my capacity to be of service. You know, my, my daily prayer is like, allow me to be of service in the way that I need to be today. It takes a lot of work too. Like, yeah, I, last, last it does. Night, Last night, uh, I was filling buckets of dirt at at two in the morning in the rain. Okay, so I had I had just tilled up a whole bunch of different uh, spots around my my land here. We have we have six acres of of our farm, and then we have the house across the street that I that we just bought, also in a tax sale. So we bought both houses in the tax sale. So um, you know. I, these are houses that take a lot of work to fix up and, you know, they're, they're over hundred year old houses uh, and land that has been farmed 
you know, for well over a hundred years. So there's a lot of benefits to buying um, a place that is already developed as a farm, you know, that the, 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 the soil is really good. Like this area where we live here in Gemsag is really good for climate wise. And, you know, the soil is good. That's why people settled here first. This used to be the capital of the Maritimes back when the first settlers came here. It was Gemsag. And uh, Fort Gemsag was here. You know, there's Grimross Island that had a little settlement there. So I take people, you know, kayaking uh, around here. If anybody wants to go kayaking, uh, we can go do that. Uh, and we also have our sailboat. So uh, the sailboat is like, a, we have a six, uh, 26 foot sailboat. So we can take people out on Grand Lake. And But I mean, I, what I'm doing is I'm living my dream now. You know, I bought this very old house for $12,000 and I'm fixing it all the time. You know, I'm, I, I replaced half the basement. Now I'm fixing the beams in the basement that are rotten. I got to replace the roof. So basically the whole house is getting bit by bit done and I'm doing it all myself. But last night, I'm just saying I was out at, you know, two o'clock in the morning. I knew it was going to rain for several days. And before the, 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 the soil got so soaked, I needed to pot a whole bunch of pots uh, to, to, to re, you know, transplant all my peppers and tomatoes and all this stuff. So like, I feel like I'm crazy sometimes out, uh, in the rain or in the bugs or whatever in the heat of the day. But the fact is you have to work with the elements. I mean, you can be smart and you can think, Oh, I'm going to, you know, get up early in the morning and, or, you know, there is certain times where it's easier to do certain tasks but all day long, from the moment I, you know, go outside till the sun goes down, I am working my butt off to, you know, and, and having a farm, it's like endless distractions. There's like endless projects that you could be working on. So I'm just, but I'm very happy. I'm, I call myself the king of puttering. You know, I'm just puttering on this little job over here, doing a little bit here, doing a little bit there, but there's nobody telling me what to do. It's all me. And, and it doesn't get done unless I do it. You know, I mean, I think in the future, I want to have people woofing here and that sort of thing. I want to have, this is the school. This is the dream seed school where people can come and learn how to be a homesteader with me. They're, they're, they may not be learning. Like I took a permaculture course and I studied that in Africa and Uganda. Uh, but you're going to learn how to be a farmer like rusty cuts, you know, you may not be learning, you know, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to, to learn. This is how I do it, you know? Um, and I may not know all the science and everything behind it, but I believe that all you have to do is spark the desire to want to learn something in the student, in the learner is the most important thing is to have the desire because if kids coming up today, they don't have the desire to be a homesteader or to even have a garden or even grow a tomato plant, then there's no hope, right? I mean, but if all they're interested in is, you know, whatever, playing video games or whatever, watching YouTube or whatever it is that they, they do, they need to have somebody show them that growing a garden is fun, you know, or can be fun or eating a tomato off of your own tomato plant tastes better than the one at the store. 
if if you can do that if if you i don't need to teach them all the permaculture everything all they have to do is taste the tomato or all they have to do is see that they plant the the squash seed and a week later the squash is coming up and it's like magic you know and that may be just the thing that turns them on to wanting to have their own garden so uh, i have a project in mind called squash hunger where i take squash seeds to schools and hand out all these squash seeds because i mean they're hugely abundant and easy to squash is an easy thing to grow and to take the seeds from so i want to if, if there's any teachers out there that are listening to this podcast i would come to your school and give out squash seeds and uh you know pumpkins or whatever i have tons of tomatoes you know it's it would be really easy to turn kids on to gardening i believe if they can start with just one plant you know and uh, so that's that's the whole idea of dream seed is that I, i'm not creating any curriculum i'm just creating a circle you show up in circle and you say this is who i am this is what my dream is this is what i'm interested in and then other people you know, can comment on it or say, Hey, I know someone that knows what you know, or, Hey, I have, you You know, you can come sailing with me or come rock climbing with me or whatever. Like that's what I'm offering. So when you get a dream seed membership, all you're getting is an invitation to come to circle. You get an invitation to come sailing with me or to come rock climbing or, you know, come to the land and what's going to happen there. I don't know, but something's going to happen and you're going to meet a bunch of cool people. And, uh, you know, it's $500 for a lifetime. So I'm not really advertising that, you know, big time. Cause I really want it to be people that I know and trust. Cause I don't want to invite people in that, you know, are going to cause problems, uh, or that don't, their values don't align with mine. But, um, you know, if it really attracts the right people, I think it's, um, it's gonna like right now we have about like, you know, 15, 16 to 18 people. I forget how many people we have so far in circle, but we're just meeting through video chats and having these content, you know, like a video chat circle so that we can plan for meeting in person. And then those people can host events on their own property. So if you, if you want, if you were a dream seed member and you want to have a work party at your house, then you host the circle and you say, okay, this is, this is my land. This is what I want to do. These are the things that need to get done. You know, what would your role like to be? What would you, how would you like to play a part in this thing? So as a dream seed member, you would, um, you would know how to host a circle and that's about it. There's no other structure other than that is knowing how to facilitate a circle. Hmm. There's so much that can come out of that. And I, I really like what you say in the in the aspect of deconstructing that institutional hierarchical sense is, is this idea that, you know, change has to be forced or mandated. People aren't going to change if we don't mandate this or force this. And this new paradigm or parallel structure that you're talking about, you, you nail the hammer on the head. It's like we need to spark the desire. Change comes from inspiration, not comes from not coming from it being forced or mandated or, or coming that way. It's, so it's really true what you, you, you hit the hammer right on the head to me. And I think what you're doing in creating community and creating these opportunities for people to come together is 
spectacular. And every time I collide with you, there's, there's magic in that. And I'm left with the seed of inspiration and each, each collision has uh, made me a better human being. That's, that's for damn sure. And I'm I'm curious, what would you like to tell? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be, I'm trying to lead by example. So like I said, the school isn't the land. The school isn't necessarily a place. I have to, I have to make whatever it is fun. So if I want to teach hula hooping, I need to make hula hooping look fun, you know, or if I need to, if I want to teach, if I want to teach photography, I need to show people my love for photography. And when I'm gardening, every, every bit of water that I put on the garden is love. And every, um, I'm like on my knees cutting with grass with garden shears to create mulch so that my plants don't wilt. That's love. I mean, every handful of mulch is me loving those plants and pouring love into my cabbage plants. And then that then gives back to me because I get to eat, you know, uh, kimchi or you know whatever that my wife makes but um you know it's all love it's all coming from a place of love i'm not doing it because i'm getting paid in dollars you can't quantify it right so i if if what i can do is share my love of being a homesteader or my share my love of being an adventurer you know i mean it might scare people to death rock climbing or kayaking or sailing but I'm like, look, it's easy. You just take one step at a time, you know, and maybe you won't get to the top of the mountain that day. But if you break through that fear barrier of like, I can't do it because I'm too heavy or I'm not strong enough or whatever, take one step. And then if you can't get any further, rest. Okay. Recalibrate, whatever. And then get back on. Because sometimes when people are rock climbing, I, as you know, I, I took you rock climbing in Walton Glen Gorge. I've been developing that place for eight years by myself. And I love it. I love the peace of like just having it all to myself. No other rock climbers there. And I'm just, uh, you know, I, I, I love being there and I love introducing uh, bringing climbers there to, you know, to try the routes that I'm developing. Um, but it's quite often that people, when they don't make it the first time, they will say, Oh, let me down. I can't do it. I'm like, I'm not letting you down. <laughs> I'm, you just, you know, take a breath, take a relax for a second and try it again. Stop, you know, just stop yeah. and then can continue after you've, you've rest for a second. And then they end up getting to the top. And they feel good about themselves because they have a little win, you know? So it's so important to help people make those easy wins, you know? Growing one plant is an easy mm-hmm. win, you know? So if you can create easy wins, when I'm I'm pulling rocks out of my garden and throwing them like basketball into the wheelbarrow, easy wins, <laughs> Okay. So I'm just kind of making a game out of it. I'm just like, I'm pulling rocks and it's like endless, right? Pulling rocks out of my garden. But every, every rock I get in the wheelbarrow, easy win. 
you know, and it just puts a smile on my face. Like so, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And it, the easy wins do build tremendous amounts of confidence. It's it's incredible. If somebody's interested in learning uh, more about the Dream Seed project, about rock climbing, about exploring, you know, the hidden gems of New Brunswick or these these different ways of connecting with themselves and connecting with the land. Where could people get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, well, my main website is is hangingHugs.com. So I make a living sewing hammocks. Uh, I've done that since um, 2008. So I, I didn't really talk about that very much. But my, my hammock company is uh, custom-made hammocks. And uh, my you know, my information is on there and whatnot. You can contact me through that, but, um, I'm kind of like a hammock, uh, a hammock missionary. I've traveled all over the world, teaching me how to make hammocks and that's what's funded my life. So if anybody wants to support me, that's the way to do it. But, um, come on Sierra is a, is a Facebook page that I made to share my adventures and as a, like a guiding service. So if people want to go, kayaking or sailing or rock climbing you can look on come on sierra on facebook uh dream seed has a, a, a like a private group on facebook you can look up dream seed it has a facebook page which i update with little bits too but um yeah dream seed you just search that on facebook as well um my name on facebook is rusty cuts and that that came because as I'm fixing up my house, uh, I'm, I was started making these funny, well, to learn how to fix my house. I'm watching home renovation, uh, YouTube videos. And so as I was demolishing different areas of my house, I started making like funny, uh, videos, uh, pretending like I was a home reno expert, but like totally bullshitting and, making, making cracking jokes. And so Rusty Cuts was a, like a, just a, like a comedic personality that came out of that. And I pretend that I'm like super famous and have all these followers and stuff, which I don't. Um, but, um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really trying not to give my attention to screens. I'm really trying to, uh, like I created a, a group, uh, on Facebook to help people that weren't connected through these, uh, you know, pandemic years so that they would have a community of people to share information with. And it just became uh, a whole lot of what the fuck links. So people are just sharing like, you know, the doom and gloom. And, uh, I find that disempowering, you know, I mean, it's good to stay updated on like, you know, what the world economic forum, uh, you know, is making plans for us. But I, my motto is, uh, you know, if you don't make plans, someone else will make plans for you. So I'm, I'm really focused on just making my own plans and not giving them any of my brain space or giving them as little of my attention as possible because we live in an attention economy. So uh, the attention economy is like, you know, you only have so many hours in the day. If you're spending, you know, an hour watching YouTube videos, then that's an hour you're not spending maybe with your kids or with your wife or, you know, doing something that you really want to be doing. 
So um, the most precious thing that we have is our time. And uh, so use it wisely. Um, that's, that's, that's where I'm going right now is just spending more time crafting the land around me and my house to create the life that I want for myself and others. And not, 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 mm, not blaming, not blaming that's... other people, not, not, not trying to say, Oh, it's Justin Trudeau's fault that I don't have everything that I want or whatever. Like Justin Trudeau doesn't even know who I am. <laughs> you know, who cares about him? That's so true. I, I think that's that big shift away from, feeling disempowered and moving towards empowerment. And I, I think that's a really wonderful place to to wrap things up here is, you know, we have so much more power than we give ourselves credit for. And if we can step into that and then come into community, as you, as you keep saying, if we can step into our power and be empowered with others, man, there is no stopping that force of creation. <laughs> totally. I absolutely believe that that the talking circle, the structure of the talking circle is the structure of community. Top-down hierarchical, that is not a community. That is that is a pyramid, you know, and there's a there's a it's very clear in my mind that if you have a very strong circle of people who know each other, then people who have nefarious things in mind or want to manipulate or co-op things they can't get into the circle because everybody's going to know like, Oh yeah, you're wanting to take us in this other direction and we're not going to allow you to because we are like a solid unit here. So it's really about who has the mic, right? Like the only reason why we pay any attention to Justin Trudeau is because he's on CBC news all the time. If he wasn't, if he didn't have the mic, then we wouldn't hear from them. So the only way that the, that the so-called elites or whatever, you know, can control us is through the media. Without the media, the government would have very little power because that is their access to our mind. They are casting spells on the population through the media. Without the media, how can they get in our head? They can't. So it's mm -hmm. so important that we spend more time in circle with our community than we do watching the news, you know, supposedly the news means North, mm -hmm. East, West, South. Have you ever heard that? Never. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Never. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, most, most news now, it's hard to even call it news. At best, it could be called entertainment. <laughs> yeah. But you have one last message for us, Corey, to, to leave us with on a on a heart-centered note. Um I don't know. I, I, I've just been I've been very fortunate to be uh raised in a in a family, like a very stable upbringing uh, where my, my parents um uh, you know, have raised us, uh, in a, in a loving household. So I've always had that, um, self-respect, you know, they've always respected me for, for who I am, even though that I'm, you know, sort of the black sheep of the family. I didn't follow the regular, you know, go to university and 
have a regular job, you know, but somehow I've, you know, always focused on what I wanted to do and somehow made, made a living from it. Even though I don't make a lot of money, I, I'm still happy and I'm able to provide for myself. So, you know, now I'm raising my daughter. I have a three-year-old daughter named Sierra and she is, she copies everything that I do, everything that I say, she copies it. So it's just so important to treat our children with the respect that they deserve as a independent being, you know, to try to, I mean, I raise my voice at her sometimes. I'm frustrated. You know, she's walking through the garden, she's stepping on plants and I'll yell at her, you know, but we have to be, I think, more, more loving in the sense of respecting that each individual is an individual. Each person, there is only one of them on this planet. Everybody is special. Everybody is unique and don't try to be something you're not. Okay. Don't try to, you know, oh, I wish I could be like that. No, you're never going to be, I mean, you can uh, emulate what other people do or whatever, but love yourself for who you are and the tools that you, what you have. And if you don't like some aspects of yourself, then change, like take the steps that you need to do. If you don't like how your body looks or, you know, how, how it feels, if you're not feeling healthy, then do whatever it's going to take to make a plan for yourself, set some some goals to get yourself healthy, to eat the right food, to exercise more. Like, don't just wish your life away. No, even if you're 70 years old, you know, or, you know, 50 years old or whatever you are, it's not too late to change. You know, it's start now is, is the theme of the Dream Seed School. Start now. The festival that I'm going to create is called Start Now. Because I think that is so powerful. Whatever you want to do, start now. That's about it. Dude, you are a real blessing to chat with. It's uh, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with the adventurous and inspiring Corey Richardson. Once again, a big thank you to our sponsor, Karen Phytoplankton. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find me on Facebook and YouTube at The Connected Movement. Thanks again and see you next Monday.